I'd like to begin our time together by sharing with you a creation story, one you may not be familiar with, but that's the point of this sermon today. There have been and will be, and will be many more worlds and universes than there are drops of water in the holy river Ganges. The universes are made by the Lord Brahma, the creator, maintained by the Lord Vishnu, the preserver, and destroyed by Lord Shiva. Since the universes must be destroyed before they can be recreated, Lord Shiva is called the destroyer and the recreator. These three gods all form the supreme one and part of the supreme one. The Supreme One is, beyond, is behind and beyond all. After each old universe is destroyed, nothing is left but a vast ocean. Floating on this ocean, resting on the great snake, Antir, is Lord Vishnu. Some say that a lotus flower springs from his navel, and from this comes Lord Brahma. And it is from the Lord Brahma that all creation comes. Not everybody believes what we believe. This is the Hindu story of creation. Now I'd like to read our passage for today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, And so it was, and God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days and years, and let them be the lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which is in the water teems and moves about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in numbers and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the land and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over... the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every other living creature that moves on the earth. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were complete in all their vast array. But on the seventh day, God had finished his work, and the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because it is his rest from all the work of creating he had done. This is the account of of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So the question is, I shared two stories of creation. And what we're considering in this series is how our Christian doctrine relates to the great plethora of belief on our planet, but not only on our planet, but in our community, because the world has come here. And not only the plethora of belief on the planet, in our community, but in the church. So I start by asking, what do you believe about creation? Some will be biblical literists. God said he did it in seven days. That's good enough for them. Others believe in the more scientific explanation. 13 billion years ago, a big bang spread across the expanse of all the earth and the universe. Even more recently, scientists say that there's not one universe, but many, a multiverse with universes coming and going over time with no beginning and no end. 
Or do you believe something in between? Maybe you believe that God created the, as some of the um, Enlightenment philosophers did, that God created the clock, the perfect clock that he wound up and he let go, and it works beautifully without any additional intervention. Or maybe you believe in some sort of intelligent design, although he clearly didn't meet me <coughs> when he came up with that term. And we can get a little exercised. I remember many, many discussions in college, in my family, with friends, over what creation means and how did it happen. We can get a little exercised about creation story, get a little upset. I remember years ago being in, uh, some of you remember Heidi Houston, who was pastor here for a while in the Bethel Bible series studies. And Heidi, being a little bit new to the pastorate, started off one section of the study by talking about the Exodus myth. Some people didn't like it referred to as a myth. She didn't mean it quite as a myth. She really should have said Exodus story, something like that. And we talked about the different hypothesis of what the Exodus story, and I remember breaking and we were out in the hallway and talking to a friend of mine, and he said, not only do I believe that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, but they crossed it at the widest, deepest part. <coughs> no skirting around the miraculous. And, and in general, what is more miraculous and how can we deny the miraculous if we believe that God will raise us from the dead and we will live forever? Is that more difficult to believe? Or that God created the universe more difficult to believe? These are all very difficult questions. And how do we know this truth at all? How come this story has come to us as something that's been a part of our lives growing up? We were taught it, primarily. Some of us came to it in other ways, but in generally we were taught it as part of our Christian culture, the Christian foundations of the American culture, or our family. Yet, as my previous reading of the Hindu creation story illustrates, if I was born 1962 in India, before the internet and before anything else, certainly if I was born a hundred years ago in India, the only creation story I would have ever heard was the one of Shiva and Brahma and Lord Vishnu that created everything on the back of a snake going through the ocean. And I would not have known to question it. That's what I would have been told in children's stories. Maybe I've even been told that in school. There's a great book that Mary shared with me called The Old Turtle and the Broken Truth. I don't know if she mentioned it last week. Did she mention it last week? No. It's a good book. I'd, uh, I'm sure you could borrow it. And it's essentially a little allegory about conflict in the world, 
about how people came to different belief and what does that mean for conflict in our world. And essentially, I'm going to summarize quickly, even though it's a relatively short story, you don't have time now. Truth comes down from the sky and breaks in two, and one falls in our land. And we look at it, and on the rock, it says, God loves us. And we say, wow, that's the truth. God loves us. And then it's heard throughout the lands that we are the people with the rock that says God loves us and everybody wants the rock and it leads to conflict. And it goes, there's wars over the rock, roars over the truth that God loves us. And conflict leads to war and war leads to all kinds of different things happening in the world. And a little girl comes up to the old turtle and says, has it always been this way? How can this ever be solved? How can it be solved, this whole conflict? And the old turtle says, well, there's two pieces to the truth. All we know is one. And the girl asks, well, what's on the second piece? And on the second piece, it says, God loves others. You see, what we believe is hugely important. As the book on this sermon series illustrates by Brian McLaren, Why Did Jesus, Moses, and Buddha, and Muhammad Cross the Road? Because belief is powerful. Wars are fought over belief. Certainly conflict today is often based on belief. Nations individuals, families can have conflict over belief. Words are powerful, ideas are even more powerful. But one of the things that the old turtle illustrates, this story, particularly with that first truth that came to earth, God loves us. That we have some special position God loves us implies that God doesn't love the other. At the heart of that is what Freud would call ego. We all have ego. We all have a belief that we are somehow everyone above average. But as the mathematician will tell you, not everyone can be above average. But our ego demands that somehow we believe that we are the best, the chosen, that in some aspect of our lives, at least, we are better than someone else. Or it's self-interest. Same thing, very similar to uh, often driven by ego. Or what we as Christians call sin. Isn't sin really be, uh, based in the belief that I get something better than you, that I deserve something, that I should have something, that I should want something, that I want my needs turn into wants and desires, and that leads to sin. So these beliefs, beliefs about creation, 
which lead into ultimate origins. Why are we here? What meaning does it have? These beliefs are important. They're very important for our understanding of how we deal in a pluralistic society and a pluralistic world. In the Robert Frost poem, The Wall, it's repeated, good fences make good neighbors. And the author continues to question through the poem, why do good fences make good neighbors? And he replies, before I put up a fence, I want to know what I am walling in or walling out. Because our beliefs quickly turn, whether in families, communities, in our world, to the fact that there is us and the other. And then we fear the other because we don't understand the other. Now, this is not a uniquely Christian problem. Every culture has this problem. Every individual has this problem. The same challenges exist in Islam, Judaism, Hinduism. You know, we even share the same creation story in Islam, Judaism, Christianity. It has different meanings, interpreted differently, but we share the same creation story. And yet, it doesn't stop conflict. Can we know the truth? Can we know the truth about creation? Even in Christianity, our beliefs about creation are varied. Some people are very universalistic about it. Their views about creation vary, and, and therefore their only way to link up their cognitive dissonance in their minds that there can be two types of creation is to say, they're all right. They're all facets of the same whole. It's like the old uh, fable about the blind friends touching the elephant. One's touching the trunk, one's touching the legs, one's touching the hide. They're all interpreting what they're touching differently, but it's the saw of the same elephant. And so some would say that's essentially what the world religions are. They're just different views of the same truth. We look through the glass darkly. We don't have any um, view on truth any better than anyone else. But it's a difficult thing to reconcile because there's clearly contradictory and unreconcilable differences in belief. Oh, certainly they can be glossed over and saying they're not important. But that clearly has not been the, the um, shown through history. They've led to more conflict than they've led to more understanding. Even though we may share certain principles, strictly speaking, kind of human principles of love and friendship and kindness and peace, it's not quite enough to bridge the gap between all these different beliefs. And so 
That brings us to a challenge. How are we going to behave in this world, this pluralistic world, and how are we going to deal with others who have different beliefs than our own? <coughs> Part of it is embodied in that same truth of the other piece of the little allegory of truth falling to earth. When one comes to the understanding and overcomes the ego to say God only doesn't just love us, but loves everyone. Many people don't get to that point. Or they don't give it more than lip service, even in the church. Oh yes, I'm a Christian, I love everyone, but not if they believe that. Or not if they believe this. In my own family, my wife Stacy's here, many of you know Stacy. <coughs> Stacy's not a Christian. Stacy comes from a Jewish background and has a variety of beliefs, different from my own. We have a different view of Jesus, we have a different view of the church. Stacy likes to say that the world is her cathedral. And you're absolutely right, sweetheart. As always. <laughs> Smart man. <clears throat> Yet, if I can draw the analogy, we have a deep love for each other. And we can accept differences in belief. My belief does not diminish her belief. Her belief does not diminish my belief. As Christian was talking to the children and saying, how do you resolve these conflicts? She said, you have to learn to respect the other belief. And that's certainly true. Certainly go a long way in our world. There's no doubt that if people could come at least that far, that would be a marvelous thing. But well beyond respect is love. Can we love those who believe so differently than us they would do us harm? Can we really do that? Of course, in our own tradition, we have to take Jesus' example. The whole Bible, New Testament at least, in Jesus' life, is filled with occurrences where he's not talking to Jews. The Samaritan, the prostitute, <coughs> tax collectors, people who are outcast. Did Jesus change any of his beliefs? in order to conform to these people? Not one. Did Jesus show unbelievable love in each one of these encounters? Yes. That's where our model is on interfaith dialogue, on issues of doctrine. It doesn't 
serve us necessarily to try to convince, argue, certainly understand, certainly under the right circumstances. It's, it's perfectly fine to debate belief, but the much higher value is in the ability to love people not only because they're different from us, but when they disagree with us. Many of you here know my background over the years work in mission work. My work that Pat's going to talk about uh, in a bit on Village Enterprise Fund in Africa years ago in promoting Presbyterian missions. And many people, erroneously, think of mission work, even people doing mission work, as the goal to convert others. Convert's an odd word, isn't it? To convert others. It's really not it. Sure, I have a belief that I hope that I might share with someone who is in need and it might be helpful to them. This is my path. This is my truth. I will share everything I know that I have learned over these 51 years about that truth with you and how it has brought me to this place of love and understanding, of understanding, of reconciliation with God and our Creator. But I'm not out to convert. Convert means winning an argument. And I have yet to see anybody change their belief on winning an argument. Not in the family. Thank you, sweetie. Not in the community, certainly not in politics, and not in the world. Never seen it. The goal is not to convert, it's to love. It's to love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world. That's the primary mission. Jesus doesn't come out and make people believe anything. He doesn't even reveal himself in a way that is completely undeniable. And we all believe he could. But he shows us through love who he is. Because he understands that that's the most powerful force in belief. We look at other cultures, and what we need to understand and do is to model that love that Jesus showed the world so that we can put those two pieces of truth back together. God loves us, and God loves others.